Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord. I ask you, Father, to equip me to be gracious in what is a difficult message sometimes to give. Let us, none of us, Father, take offense, but let us all be those who are exalted and exhorted to fine-tuning our walks, ourselves, our spirits. Thank you for truth, Lord. Truth. And thank you, Father, that we will not walk out of here the same way we came in, but that, Father, we will walk out with a greater understanding and respect for these truths that you released to us this morning. Thank you, O Lord, most of all, that you've washed us clean in the blood of Jesus, and that for those who have not yet walked into that path, that there's an opportunity always in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you were to listen to the formulas of what to say and what to do and what not to say and what not to do uh, to a church body, the one thing they would tell you is, don't dwell too much about sin. Because people get offended and they feel like you're being judgmental or it's not a message that people feel they need once they've already given their heart over to Christ. Or on the other hand, if it's too convicting of some souls, they'll just go to a place that will give them itchy ears and make it a little more comfortable not to squirm. And uh, I have to confess that when the Holy Spirit spoke this message to me early in the week, and I began to review in the book of Romans, which is about the divine salvation from sin, and also, especially in chapter 6, I tried to wiggle my ways out of it and come up with different ways of putting simple truths out, and the Lord would have none of it. And I'd just like to, first of all, deal with the pandemic of sin. I wrote to you that, you know, we're coming off new with an enlightenment and an understanding about a pandemic, which is what? It's a disease that's prevalent over the whole world. And it's rampant, it's pervasive, it's widespread. And so now, even those who would have chosen not to have any understanding about a pandemic disease, every country was affected and people in every country suffered losses and we still have waves of this pandemic coming and as we listen to the scientific bright minds that continue to waver and change the way they look at things about a pandemic especially this one the latest news out from some bright lamp was that well it's going to stay with us and uh, of course another one came out and they said well the answer to that is there will be more vaccines and more boosters and more all kind of things so that instead of somebody just getting a flu shot every year and then getting their other shots and their other vaccines you, you they're going to want you to have to line up to get a covid shot every year just add it to the list of diseases and pandemics and then of course you know the the bright news came out 
the last two days that we have monkeypox because there have been actually two cases discovered in the country, so now we're supposed to be in fear of monkeypox. Two cases. Two cases. I'm sure that Pfizer and Moderna and whomever and Johnson, they're already working on some vaccines that they can talk into the CDC and tell you you need to go get a monkeypox shot. Fear. Fear is how they work. Fear of the unknown that has a little bit of knowledge to it and always looks for some kind of a solution other than the ultimate solution, which is who? Jesus Christ. So we've been made a bit numb, haven't we? Our churches, our schools, now our grocery stores, nowhere safe. Public killings become not so much as random and they don't astonish us anymore. The question is, where's the next one? And when is the next one? Surely there's another one this week. We look back and understand that, especially those of us in this ministry and some of you who've walked with me in ministry for a long time, you you remember the Columbine massacre. A very dear brother and friend of mine, Daryl Scott, now his daughter Rachel was one of the first martyrs because she believed in Jesus. And I remember then prophesying several things and one of them I'm not too happy about was this was just the beginning and this would set forth a terrorism, a fear, terror in our nation and in the world that wouldn't stop until Jesus returned. And now we know that that was the beginning and we understand that that was from the fruit of sin and that sin goes back to decisions made by lawyers the civil liberties union bright people very bright people some of the brightest they come from the greatest law schools And for some reason, when they're that bright, they become extremely liberated in their mind from what? Accountability to sin. That's what it all points back to. My friend Darrell went in front of Congress and he gave one of the most eloquent chastisements of Congress that there ever was. Go look it up. And he said that you can link this directly to when we threw God out of the schools and said no more prayer. And that opened the gate for hatred, murder, denial of God, but most of all, a surrender to sin. And it's been pushing back forever. We have different words now for sin. Even in this culture of violence, we want to treat symptoms. I mean, the fact that people are getting killed, it has to be because we have guns. How many of you know that you can kill with a weapon that's not a gun? How many of you know that there's been weapons that have been manufactured and made and used all through history? All the way back to Cain, to kill. A weapon doesn't stop somebody or start somebody from killing. 
It's a murderous spirit. It's evil. And the root of it is sin. The root of it is rebellion against God. The root of it is a decision, a conscious decision to sin against God. Very interesting that in Scripture, we never see an explanation for murder called temporary insanity. God must have missed it. He must not have known what he was doing because surely we should give an excuse of temporary insanity for a murderer. Surely we should try to give grace to sin because we don't judge sinners, we just hate to sin, so we extend grace to sin, but there's something lacking. It's called forgiveness, true forgiveness. Forgiveness that comes with the remission of sin, the blood of Jesus. There's only one way that a murderer on the cross could be forgiven, and that's through the blood of Jesus. Not through temporary insanity or the grace of law. And so today we have what? A distorted grace. Now we have some very, very disturbed prosecutors in some of the largest cities who are releasing murderers back into public with a slap on the wrist. Now it's become common for smash and grab. It's well organized. I remember when there were elements of society that did similar things and the FBI went out after them. One was called the mafiosa. If you didn't pay them money, they smashed and grabbed. Today, goes on social media. 30, 40 people show up at a department store that has the most costly items. They come in orchestrated, they swarm. The security guard is not allowed to carry a weapon in case he would use it and hurt somebody. And some of them get killed. And they smash and grab and they run out and within hours, you see those items on eBay. No accountability. They're caught. It's a misdemeanor. And they're put back out on the street to do it again. And unfortunately, then we hear about policemen and others being murdered because of somebody put right back out on the street over and over and over. A distortion of truth. We try to explain it in different ways. Video games must be the problem. They do some damage to our children and beyond our children. I know adults. I have counseled marriages where especially a husband is glued to video games, comes home from work and starts playing video games till the wee hours of the morning. Yeah, video games are a problem, but that's just a symptom. Schools are a problem, but that's a symptom. Mental illness is a problem, 
but that's just a symptom. So we have labels that go on searching for these band-aids to put over sin. Whereas what we should be having are revivals and deliverance services for people to come forward and to get set free from sin. We have a pandemic, and it's called a sin pandemic all over the earth, and it's the longest-lasting pandemic known to the history of man. It goes back 6,000 years. And there's only been one solution that was given 2,000 years ago, because the law didn't work. The Ten Commandments only amplified the sin, but nobody had the resistance within themselves because of the old nature of sin until Jesus Christ. There's only one solution for the world's problems, it's Jesus Christ. And we can get caught up in all of the other myriads of problem solving and find out that we don't really solve the problems, do we? We can't. I remember the history of Sam Berkowitz, son of Sam, the 45 caliber killer. I wasn't in the Lord when Sam went on his killing spree in Central Park and in New York. But it moved me so much that I actually wrote a song about it and recorded it. Fortunately, it was one of the ones that never got released because I killed that album. It was powerful, but it would have glorified something similar to what other people do now. It was catchy. And Sam, yes, was he mentally ill? He said a dog was talking to him. That doesn't sound too straight to me. I've never had a dog talk to me, at least not when I was of a solid mind. And something happened. Went into prison, a life sentence, somehow not executed, up in New York, maximum security prison, and a chaplain brought him to the Lord. And Sam Berkowitz, an agnostic, atheistic Jew, gave his heart to Jesus Christ and has spent the rest of his years now bringing other murderers and prisoners to Jesus Christ, preaching the word of God. God can transform a murderer into a saint, but the legal system cannot. And giving excuses and calling things blunders and missteps only covers the sin problem. It doesn't solve it. We use words to soften sins like shortcomings, mistakes, indiscretions. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible calls them iniquity, abominations to God, ungodliness. What's missing is the fear of the Lord, which we'll talk about as we close this message this morning, Lord willing. Beloved, it's a message that the church needs to hear again. I, I don't think it's disputable. In fact, it is indisputable that probably the greatest oracle of our time, the greatest evangelist of our time, rivaled somewhat by Reinhard Bonnke, but never, ever overcome 
is Billy Graham. And Billy Graham had one message, sin, repent. He did it with graciousness, he did it with softness, he did it not coming to somebody who was at a different level of salvation, but from a level that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a universal problem in the earth. And God anointed that simple message because it's truth. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son and he still has given him. That whomsoever shall call upon his name and repent shall be saved. Now it's very evident to us about primary salvation. What do I call primary salvation? That's when you first get saved. Looking about, I assume most people here have received the Jesus and online, I would assume you have, but we'll deal with that problem too in a short while. Sin is serious. It tarnishes the soul. It scars the conscience. But worst of all, it separates us from God. There's no solution as long as sin is in the way. There's only more problems, more symptoms. Proverbs 14, 34 says that righteousness will exalt a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Beloved, forget about your political persuasion. I don't care what party you want to align with. We have a messed up country. This country is sick. If you were to look at it in a spiritual way, it almost could fit the description of that great wonder Babylon in the book of Revelation. With so many riches, with the wealth of nations, but in front of the eyes of the Lord, stripped naked and bald, because righteousness is what exalts a nation and sin is a problem to every person. There's only one solution for our nation, but it's not the popular one, is it? It's to continue to preach revivals from the mountaintops and from the valleys, on the streets and in the churches. Oh yes, in the churches. We'll be dealing with that in a moment. There's no such thing as once saved, always saved. That's another misnomer. That's a frustration of grace. We are saved by the blood of Jesus into grace and sustained, but grace can be frustrated. And it doesn't just maul over sin and candy coat it so that we can just keep practicing sin and believe that we still have intimacy with God. For somebody who believes that God is and that Jesus Christ is real, that your sins have been washed clean and I'm preaching to me, you can jump on board and receive the message if you like. 
because I got it loud and clear all week. There's no such thing as big sins that separate us from little God as compared to little sins that separate us from God. Leadership in the body of Christ would do well to learn that and to practice that. Sin is sin. God is God. Truth is truth. Holiness is holiness. Paul cried out, frustrated. And he cried out to the people that he had planted as a church and led to the Lord and lifted up leadership. And what did he cry out? He said, stop sinning as if you're crucifying the Lord again. Who are we to cry out to a sick, perverse, falling world? A world that has a pandemic problem of sin, a universal issue. Who are we to cry out to them? To give their lives to Jesus Christ while in the dark. We pervert the very blood that we preach as the gospel. God is calling his people to holiness. The greatest revival required on earth, yes, it's for unsaved people, but more so it's for the saved people. Every kind brings forth its own kind. We can pervert people that come needing, delivered, passionate for God, desperate, Finally receiving the truth, convicted of sin. It wasn't a message of the gospel that brought me to the Lord. It was a deep-rooted conviction of sin that brought me to a place of total desperation. And many of you have the same story. I didn't just slide in in grace. I groveled in the dust with mercy. In some ways, I'm fortunate because I was separated unto the Lord for about a year as he worked things out in me and filled me with his word. And I didn't have the influence of a system of religion. In fact, I was running from it. And I understood the rudiments of truth and law. It was much harder for me to accept grace, to be tolerant of sin. Sin is universal. Sin has no respect for gender, or race, or ethnic, or national origin. Sin doesn't separate people from those who go to church and those who don't go to church. Sin gravitates to old nature. Sin finds its way through the gates that are opened up to the saved and the unsaved and plants its ugly roots. Sin is no one's friend. Sin is the culture of evil. And the ultimate root is sin.
And this problem persists and shall persist, persist in spite of your greatest efforts. <laughs> you can try to solve every problem in your family. You can try to solve it for other people. You can solve it clinically, socially, medically, on and on, scientifically, philosophically, culturally. You can try any way you want, but there's really only one solution. And that is sin needs to be eradicated. The interesting thing about sin, it's like a rabid dog that doesn't know anything different. It can never be tamed. It must be crucified. We can deal with our sin problem, whatever it is today, but as soon as we give that dog a little leash, it will come after you like a lumbering hound. As soon as that door is opened, as soon as that gate has even a little crack in the door, sin will find its way in. And it won't come in to negotiate with you. Sin won't come in according to the measure <laughs> of your sin, but Lord, I was just a, a little white lie. It was just a little gray area. I mean, Lord, I had to lie for their own good. Father, I mean, after all, they have so much, and it, I, I just took a little. I mean, Lord, yeah, I'm holding back from you, but I have my reasons. And the Lord cries out, why are you robbing me in Malachi? Lord, how am I robbing you? You're holding back your tithe, the Lord says. But that's not sin, that's religion. Really? Yeah, murder's not sin either. Adultery's not sin. See, you, get, you don't understand, homosexuality, people were made that way, huh? I mean, we have to understand we need to be tolerant. Really. We should be careful how we speak. We could lose our job. Huh. We could be sued. Oh, there comes the lawyers. Sin. Sin is vicious. In your eyes, my eyes, I sin, it could just be a small degree compared to all the goodness and righteousness that you or I minister. Then again comes the fear of the Lord, to whom much is given, much is required. I'm not proud, but I'm not ashamed to admit to you that after one year, being set aside of the Lord, no friends, no, no social relationships, virtually no family, no nothing. I couldn't take it, I thought. So I just said, I'm going to willfully sin again. I'm going to go pursue it one more time because I'm not happy. 
And I don't know where these people come up with the love of Jesus, but I'm not feeling any of this love. What is it? But I know I said one thing. I said the one thing, Lord, I I don't quit believing in you, but I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm a sinner. And a few of the people that would come by me and say, what happened to you? I said, I'm sinning. Don't do what I'm doing. And that lasted about six months until I was groveling again in the dirt. Till the conviction and the desperation for God came to the point that I didn't care whether I lived or died again. I just wanted to know one thing. Is it too late? Is it too late? And that's when the mercy and the grace comes back of God. It's never too late. But I have to tell you something. There were consequences to those six months. Sin has consequences. God can forgive us, but there's consequences. What I've learned in my life, that the more the Lord has used me and put me in places of a sphere of influence, the harder he is on me about sin. Sin haunts me. I don't sleep. Sin stops me from preaching. Sin blocks my mind. Sin holds me back from that intimate relationship and feeling with God. Those of us who are musicians, we've had to make some tough decisions, haven't we? Because we made our livings (laughs) going out to the world and playing and using our gifts, not to sin, but it would be like you using the tools God gives you to, to, to build something or to go to school and to put it to work. But see to who much is given, much is required. And if we're gonna sit and worship unto the Lord, we need not to come with any residue. It will hinder us. It will stop us. I'm just using that example because that shoe fits me. Ten years I couldn't pick up an instrument. And I'd played instruments since I was three years old. I'd performed since I was 11. Ten years I couldn't pick it up because I couldn't come to that place where my mind was pure enough in God and cleansed enough to be able to worship. And the same thing with whatever you're doing. Our gifts can become our greatest curses. Why do you think such great men and women of God fall? But I healed, Lord, you can't enter in. Lord, I preached to millions, you can't enter in. Lord, I I gave my life for you, did you? Or at some point did the road split in the Y and it became your kingdom and my kingdom but your kingdom wasn't my kingdom. This is a tough message. God wants high performance sisters and brothers in the Lord today. And you know what? It's a blessing of God if we receive messages like that, if we accept them and we practice them. Because there's only one temperature that makes it into heaven, it's hot. 
The church of Laodicea, I've been preaching it for 35 years, now I'm hearing others, and that's a good thing because they're realizing that we're on that edge of that time. Cold doesn't make it. Lukewarm doesn't make it. Only hot. Only where sin has been totally wrung out as a lifestyle. Only where there's absolutely no room given to the door to open and sin to creep in. Only when there's immediate repentance for sin, rushing to the cross, hearts rent, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. And no such thing as measures of sin. Measures of sin won't keep people out of hell. Sin is sin. Sin is the absence of God. We were told the times were coming where good would be evil and evil would be good. We were told the times were coming when people's hearts would be failing them for fear. I was just sharing with somebody two days ago that when the last recession hit in 2008 and 2009 and one of my primary bankers in South Florida who was my friend for a couple years and I was one of their biggest clients and everything went under. What was worth a million dollars was worth a hundred thousand if somebody could buy it. And I remember I was supposed to meet him that next day to talk about a workout. How are we gonna work you out for the bank and how am I gonna work out of this mess so that both of us aren't destroyed for good and it wasn't that it was just my problem, it was his problem. He didn't show up that day. And when I went to the bank, his assistant came in crying and said, he put a gun to his head and shot himself this morning, leaving two little children and a wife, hearts failing themselves for fear. Lack of faith, the wrong fear. The wrong fear is what becomes the consequence of sin. The right fear doesn't allow the consequence of sin to come in. The fear of the Lord. People can talk about all kind of things that will help us to resist sin. But let me tell you, what works for me, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. I can honestly tell you that when I'm prayed up and ready and I'm tuned and ready to go, I actually fear no man or person. I don't. I could fall into that, but I've prepared myself. I don't walk in that fear but I fear the Lord desperately with all that I have. And I know that God has blessed me and put a lot on my shoulders, but I accepted it and wanted it and still do. And, and I know there's a demand and a plan in my life just like there is in yours. But we cannot be fruitful in what God gives to us unless our foundation is the fear of the Lord. You can't fear God if you don't hate sin. Hear me out. 
You want, to, you want a definition for the fear of the Lord? There it is. You can't fear God if you don't hate sin. Sin will captivate your mind. It pollutes your life. It gets your priorities all messed up. It torments, it binds, it wrecks, it ruins. We call addictions diseases. They're not diseases. They're diseases if we pattern ourselves to believe they're diseases. That's no more a disease than any other sin that captivates us or that we practice. Sin is a pandemic disease of the soul. It's the ultimate root of all things. Isaiah, he got it. He didn't understand it. He doesn't have the revelation. And, and, and he didn't have Jesus yet. He wasn't even sure about the Messiah, just like all of Israel wasn't sure about the Messiah. He sort of prophesied one coming, then a second coming, and there's four times as many prophecies about the second coming as there is the first coming. They were all merged together. But this he knew, and he wrote it very clearly in Isaiah 29 and other ones. Sin separates you from me, says God. He got it. Sin separates you from me. And then he got this revelation, whether he saw it as a vision or it was an unction of the Holy Spirit. He got this re revelation of a Lamb of God. A messianic revelation that by this man's stripes, we are healed. Because disease, the root of disease is sin. Now are you saying, pastor, that the reason why I have uh, arthritis or a sickness or a problem is because I've sinned. No. It's because the body decays. Because it's made of sin. What? Oh yes, your old nature is sinful. You must crucify it. We must crucify it in baptism with Jesus Christ and resurrect it in newness of life. One of the anecdotes for this pandemic of sin is to become a new creation, a new creature. You can't be a new creature and wear an old suit. Do you understand that as a new creature in Christ, we receive a mantle? Oh, pastor, I thought that was only for, you know, the super leaders, no. We all have a mantle. It's described as a bright, bright robe. Just sparkling. Without a stain, without a spot, without a wrinkle. When we come up through the blood in Jesus Christ, we're washed clean. But yet, like a magnet, a spiritual magnet, we can attract stains and specks and flaws into our mantles. Which requires us 
as John said, to come to the altar to repent and to be washed clean. The beauty of grace in God is if we confess our sins, He is just to forgive us. But He never said, nowhere in the Scriptures does it say, get saved, keep practicing sin, God's got enough grace to cover you. doesn't say that. Galatians, stop frustrating grace. Paul, stop sinning as if you crucify the Lord again. Paul got so frustrated that he made a long list of sins. Paul liked to list things. He listed the fruits of the Spirit, and he listed the sins. And if you read those, every one of them covers an avarice of the old nature, the lusts of the flesh, the pride, the arrogance, the sins. By the way, Paul was preaching to believers. He wasn't preaching to unbelievers. Paul as an evangelist had great success getting people saved and planting churches. His problem was keeping them saved and keeping the churches good. Now you and I weren't there when he died. And I'm sure he was ready to go home because he had confessed long before and betwixt two worlds. I've seen the third world. I've been in heaven and I've seen unspeakable things that I can't share with you. And I'd rather be there, but I need to be here. And I'm, I'm between two worlds. But I assure you, as anyone who has passion for God, that on his way out, his one consternation was, why didn't it stick with everybody that I ministered to? I'm just going to list through a few things now. Sin, it's the opposite of God and good. Sin is the opposite of love. Jesus said, as sin and evil increase in the world, people's love will grow cold. <laughs> you can be a tree hugger, go hug a tree. You can kiss every animal there is. You can bless people with your words and buy them food. But you can't change love unless you deal with the sin. Sin is always selfish. According to James 3, in the selfishness you find disorder in every kind of evil sin. Sin, yes, sin is unbelief in God. What? I believe in God. 
Do you? Do you believe in God for who He is or for who you want Him to be? Do you believe in God for the truth of His law or for what you're asking Him to change? John 16, 9. The world's sin is unbelief in me. Sin breaks fellowship with God. Isaiah 59, your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you. Listen to this, so that he will not hear. Hmm. Answer to prayer. Sin needs to go. Yes, but God's merciful. Let me tell you something. God's mercy will equal the heart. But God will not show mercy where the heart is arrogant against God. I know in my life I cried out for mercy and God met me. And then I know again when I would go back and do the same thing and cried out for mercy, God didn't meet me. What I received was, you know the way, walk it. Sin does long-term damage. Disobeying God is neither fun nor funny. Proverbs 10.2 A fool's fun is in being bad. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. How about the, the old days? I don't know about you, but you know they would revel in either a drunkenness or some other stupor, well, I'll see you in hell. It was funny. There's no joke. What did Jesus do for you? Well, you know he took away your sins on the cross, right? He died. And he gave his blood. Perfect blood. He was made sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. That's foundational. But he also gave you a new nature so that those who have been born again into God's family do not continue in habitual sin because God's life is in you now. Romans 8, 9, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, you are controlled by your new nature. Jesus came to defeat sin once and for all. Romans 6, 10 through 11 tells us we should think of ourselves as dead to sin, but alive to the power of God. It's changing our thought patterns. In some of the addiction recoveries, as my wife has taught me, there's three different cycles that come forth, each one 21 to 30 days, and those three cycles help someone to change the patterns of their addiction. I believe in all of that. We do well to learn that in everything in our lives. We need to change the patterns of how we think. We need to be able to say, I'm not going to think the same way I was thinking. How am I going to change it? I'm going to literally take control of my mind when I begin to think that way. I'm going to rebuke it out of my own spirit, out of my own nature, but I'm going to practice the mind of Christ. 
I'm going to ask the Lord to tell me how I ought to think and do this. One of the ways that we protect ourselves from thinking and falling into sin is to invite God into everything that we do. Not some of the things we do. Oh, pastor, that's not that important, really. That one day that you don't invite him to take a ride with you in your car might be that one day that something doesn't go right. Or that one day that your attitude is angry. I'll tell you what, there's some cities in this country, all you have to do is hit the horn at somebody and they'll pull out a gun and shoot at you. That one day that you go to the grocery store and there's somebody filled with hatred because of your color or who you are, or you go to the temple, or you go to school, or you go to a church that's lurking to kill you. The one day you don't ask the Lord to come with you. How long does it take to die? Here and then gone. Hardest funerals for me. They're not even the unsaved person. Because there at least I could say, Lord, have mercy. It's the saved person who's practicing sin. That's a hard one for me. When I know that I know that I know that they're living a life of sin and I'm asked to do the funeral because they once gave their life to Jesus and came to church now and then. It's like, The fear of the Lord. These are the blessings. Moses wrote in his commandments. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. That you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and commandments which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Long life. You know, I shared this, I'm going to share it again. How many of you have gone to a school reunion in the last couple years or so? And first of all, sadly, you have the board of the ones who died and they're not there anymore, right? And you look at them and you go, wow. And you see their picture from the yearbook and you go, wow, that was like yesterday. And now me, you know, my, I didn't make too many of them, but I made the last one. Laura Lee and I went, she went with me. And it was our 50th, but it was the 50-51 because of the pandemic of our graduation anniversary. And, you know, I walked in pretty good, feeling great. And I saw a few old friends and talked to them. And then another one would come up and I couldn't recognize who it was. And I'd have to ask somebody. I said, were they in our class? They look like they're 90 years old. 
Then another one would come up and like this and start talking about the medicine that he's taken. Then another one would come up. And I got in the car with my wife and I said, do I look that old? She said, thank God you don't. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, health. You have a different countenance when you fear the Lord. People come up to me and to you all the time, I'm sure, and they say, why are you smiling so much? And you don't even know you're smiling. It's because of the joy of the Lord that comes in the fear of the Lord. When you fear the Lord and some bad news comes, you don't shake and tremble and say, oh my God, give me mercy. You declare out and say, all things work together for good to those who love God. Something good is about to happen in the plans and purposes of God. Right? Joseph. Joseph had a bad day. He was put in a pit. Taken away into slavery. Coming out of a family that was wealthy. My God, his father was a patriarch. And he had some more bad days, just when it was getting good, stuck in prison. Another bad day. But it so much came that when finally he was before his brethren who didn't even recognize him, he was able to say, don't have fear, because what you intended for evil, God intended for good, so that I might be here for the salvation of our people. The fear of the Lord. Fearing the Lord has a strong connection to obedience to God. You can't fear God if you don't obey Him. You have to walk in His ways and delight in His commands. That's why you hear the, the testimonies and the prayers of Hebrews to this day is, blessed is the name of the Lord. And then they go on with the request. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Blessed is the name of the Lord. The fear of the Lord leads us to the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. Not just knowledge of things, not just knowledge and able to go to school or to excel in the things that you put your hands to, deep spiritual knowledge. The fear of the Lord allows the intimacy of God for Him to impart deep spiritual knowledge. Knowledge, that spirit of the spirit that changes and guides us. It gives us great wisdom. How many of you know there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom? Wisdom is that ability that in no matter what situation you're in, you can call upon something that's beyond your normal rationale to understand. One of the wisest people on earth that I know right now is my little brother, Samuel Smadja. He has wisdom. 
ministries from all over the world, they reach out to him for wisdom. When you have wisdom, you will attract people to you. All they want is a word. All they want is to know what you see for them or how you understand something because it's supernatural wisdom of the Lord that comes with the fear of the Lord. Let's look at this one, Psalms 111.10. I would like you all to start praying to God for that, this kind of wisdom. But make a commitment to fear God. The fear of the Lord, say it, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. When you have God's wisdom, you don't walk in confusion. Your yeas are yeas and your nays are nays. When you have wisdom, it's easier for you to say no to the things that you should say no to. We all get stretched. I get stretched, you get stretched. We only have so much time in a day. We can only do so much. We need to do what God has given us to do, not what somebody else wants us to do or what somebody else is already doing. I love Nita and Anwar. They're doing a great work with their church in Pakistan. I tell them all the time, you don't need me to come there and preach to the million crowds. They don't understand me in the first place. They have you. If God has me preaching to 30 people, that's what I'm supposed to do. I don't need my ego fed. I need to obey God. But if God calls me there to minister to pastors, to help them to heal, to walk straight, to give them wisdom and understanding, that's different for me. That's why I've been praying hard, and some of you are going to begin to go if you're willing to be sent to places that you can go and do better or the same of what I do because of who you are and what you carry. It's called kingdom. Wisdom. Wisdom has us make good decisions. Wisdom has us not put ourselves in places we shouldn't be. I get asked all the time, people I know, people I don't know, to go run, to go do something that's in ministry that would otherwise grease my pockets with an honorarium or feed my ego. It's the wisdom of God that I thank Him for that I never say yes or no without taking it to Him. Never. And guess what? Most of the times it's no. Because the Lord says to me, I've got so-and-so doing that. You don't need to do that. I've got so-and-so doing that. You don't need to do that. And there's a time that the Lord uses us in something, and then He'll put other people into it. We don't have control. We don't have authority. We don't have ownership <laughs> in the kingdom of God. We serve obedience to God. Divine wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a weapon against sin. Moses told them, don't be afraid. 
For God has come in this way just to test you so that you fear Him and will keep you from sinning. The fear of the Lord allows us to walk in mercy. Luke 1.50, God's mercy is reserved for those who fear Him from generation to generation. It's life. The book of Proverbs is filled with what the fear of the life gives you. I'll just click them off. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Uh, it preserves, it protects our life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. The door of divine wisdom stands open to those who fear God and keep His commandments. And how about this one? The fear of the Lord protects you and your children. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for their children, it will be a refuge. Your children will come home to your fortress. They have to. If you fear God. They can never run too far. They can never fall too far away. The fear of the Lord promises your faith in God as a fortress to your child. Do you accept that? I have the Holy Spirit all over me. The fear of the Lord. Psalm 25, 14 is the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him and makes known to them His covenant. Ultimately, what's His covenant? The blood covenant. Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord means God's my friend. Moses was a friend of God. You're a friend of God if you fear God. What a greater friend. I was on the TCT telethon this last week and on my way up I was reveling in my relationship with Dr. Garth Kuntz and I was counting, you know, the few that I would say are best friends. But when I went on the air, what I said was, Jesus is my best friend. And next to him, Garth is one of my best friends. Garth and I speak once or twice a day, but Jesus and I speak all day. Amen. Jesus is my friend. God is my friend. <laughs> what a friend we have in Jesus. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Conclusion? Fearing God is not passive. It's not something you do once to get saved. Fearing God, it's active. But it's dynamic. Grows. A righteous fear of the Lord, the fruit is holiness. And there's so many benefits. I invite you to make a conscious decision again in your life, whether it's here or there, wherever you're at. 
to walk in a righteousness of repentance. Yes, the word today as we prepare the way for the coming of the Lord is repent. But at the same time, the word that's going out is righteousness. Peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We get ourselves right with God. How many times? As many as we need. But we also break the pattern of sin. And we do whatever we need to do to do that. We take it serious and desperate. Because life is one second away. That's walking in the fear of the Lord. And hating sin. You can do it. Because not only did Jesus save you, he set you free. Forgiveness is wonderful in Jesus Christ and freedom is just as good. (laughs) You're free. And those whom the Son has set free is free. You're free. You need to walk in that freedom, in that faith of freedom. When sin tries to creep back in, you have to stomp it down. Dance on that grave and say, I'm free. I'm free because he set me free. And I'm free indeed. And then, if you really need help knowing the fear of the Lord, if you dare, ask him to show you his fear. He will. Oh, been there and done that I bit through my lip as he took me to another place showed me his fear my lip bleeding my bed drenched with sweat my wife standing over me astonished what happened I said I prayed to see the fear of the Lord I'll never forget it You know, I'd hate to be somebody who doesn't know the fear of the Lord and the first time they understand it is when they're on their way to the judgment seat. Not a good time to learn about the fear of the Lord. It's better we know now and walk in it and practice it. It's wisdom, it's life, it's long, it's your children, it's the fruits, it's the blessings. And you are those who will overcome in this dark world by the blood of the Lamb and this word of your testimony. If you would bow your heads, please. Father, accept us just like we are, Lord. I pray for each and every one of us, Father, that we offer our hearts and souls up to you again. Lord, we can't mask sins, small, large, or measure. They're all the same to you. We can't think you're omniscient at one hand and want you to be at the other hand to know all our things, our problems, our futures, but to close your eyes to our sins. Father, find us acceptable. Move on us, move in us. Let us right now make decisions to turn and walk away from things that we know 
that we try to explain are in a gray area, but we know that gray isn't light. Let us serve the greater good of your kingdom and the calling of our lives. Let us walk with one another, not in judgment, but to edify and strengthen and to help. Let us be a people here, there, and everywhere that others can be comfortable to come and say, will you help me? Will you walk with me? Will you show me the path and the way? Let us be those who don't have a dim flashlight where the battery's running low, but is bright. Even a spiritual LED that is bright and strong and lights a path that's true, that's ever present. Do a good work in us, Lord. Keep doing it. Do it in our past. Do it in our present. Do it in our future, Lord. Let us become a partner with you, Father, to overcome sin in our lives from this day forward. Thank you that you got us to this place. Now, Father, help me, help us to go to the next place. Lord, you're a holy God. I believe as we were in our quietude this morning, Lord, that you were preparing all of our hearts. Not a pen dropped, not a person sneezed, nobody moved, because we were in your presence, Father, and are there now. You were preparing us, Lord, for this, for ultimate holiness for holiness that's greater and equates greater than when Aaron came before your altar, Father, with bells around his ankles in case he fell in sin. You say to come to your throne room, here we are, Lord. Here we are. Here we are, Father. Wash us again with the hyssop of your countenance and your spirit. Find us acceptable, O oh God. Let us leave the debris and the stains outside your gate. Make our robes bright, light again. Let us be a light to a failing world. Let us speak to this world and say, our God lives. Jesus, Jesus, forgive us for all the times that we've frustrated your grace, that we've blemished your blood, that in our own selfishness, Lord, that we failed to honor you as we should in your righteousness. Forgive us, Lord. Strengthen us, God. Thank you for your grace. Help us not to frustrate your grace anew. Let us walk. Let us talk. Let us prophesy. Let us preach. Let us serve. Let us worship. Worship, Lord. To God be the glory.
If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, or you're not sure of where you stand this morning, and you just want to make a steady assurance to come back, I'd like you to just follow this prayer. Simple, not religious. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He came to earth as man and God. He never sinned, but yet he was crucified for my sins. He died on the cross. He descended into hell. He paid the price for sin. He resurrected. And he ascended into heaven. He gave his blood for me. And by his blood, I am forgiven. Father, forgive me. Jesus, heal me. Be my Lord. Come into my heart. Guide me. Keep me. Strengthen me. Renew me. Own me. Take me. Walk with me. Show me the way. In all ways. Always. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that commitment today or that recommitment, before you leave here today, or if you're online, write into us. We'd like to give you something. And I'd like to encourage all of us. Yes, this was a bit of a somber message, but sin is sombering. But walking in the fear of the Lord and in the blessings of God is victorious. I wouldn't do you well if I ignored what the Lord wants in our lives right now. He's preparing us for something very big. The world's about to be shook again like it hasn't been shook. All of the darkness is lining up. Arise, shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee and the light has come upon the earth. But darkness upon the people and gross darkness upon the world. We must be prepared. I must be prepared. This message was for all of us. I don't stand separate from you with it. I accept it. I receive it. I receive it with trembling. But yet, I receive it with confidence because I know who my God is. And I know that what he wants for us is to prosper and to do well. He will if we will. He will if we will. In Jesus' name, amen.